0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. It's John Clark. I'm a licensed therapist, group practice owner, and a business coach at Private Practice Workshop. Um, I'm excited to introduce my guest for today. It's Jenny Hughes. We're talking about overcoming vicarious trauma to thrive in your practice. Uh, Jenny's a licensed clinical psychologist specializing in trauma and PTSD. She's the founder of the Brave Trauma Therapist Collective. She helps trauma therapists go from feeling drained and demoralized to energized and empowered members of Brave work with Jenny to become more aware of how to identify and overcome vicarious trauma to help them thrive in their professional and personal lives. Um, Jenny, thanks for being here. What else should folks know about you in terms of who you are and how you got here? And then um, let's get into the topic.
1: Yeah. um, Well, professionally, so I, um, like you said, I work with trauma. I've been working with trauma for really my whole career. I I used to work with kids and families, like really itty bitty kids too. Now I primarily work with adults and I started my online private practice in 2019. So I was pre-COVID with that. Um, It was kind of a leap of faith doing an online full online oh, wow. practice at that time so And where are you
0: located by the way
1: I am in Houston Texas but I'm from mm. Colorado and then I did grad school in, in California and lived in New Orleans and then came here
0: okay you like yeah. moving huh
1: um yeah I've been all <laughs> over the place um so, really and get th- so that said a fun fact about me is I love Mardi Gras <laughs> And um, have an entire costume closet and a wall of wigs here in my office.
0: <laughs> Amazing. New Orleans is my, is actually my favorite U.S. city. I've said it before. Um, my best friend used to live there. So I'd visit a lot and get to see like his version of New Orleans, which was very different than the obvious mm-hmm. tourist version that you might get. Um, but yeah, I just love the place.
1: Yeah, I know. so in yeah. my heart.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And what does your practice look like now? I mean, what de- what degree of it is your clinical work? How many clients you see in right now per week maybe? And then how much of it is this um, kind of consulting work you do with with trauma therapists?
1: Yeah, so it's kind of uh, 50-50-ish, although the consulting stuff is more sort of like in addition to the private practice (laughs) um i see about like 15 to 20 clients per week just kind of depending on attendance and cancellations and all of those fun things um and it still is all entirely online so even doing things like emdr um virtually which is really awesome
0: very cool yeah it's changed the game forever um Some folks know I, so I own a group practice here in San Francisco and we're a a trauma and EMDR practice. So this is quite, uh, quite relevant to us. And we have a hybrid model, you know, some folks in person, we have a few offices here in the city and then some are virtual or, or hybrid. Um, My daughter, is going down for her nap, and by that I mean not going down. I don't know if you guys can hear her. Nope. My dog was barking when you were doing the okay.
1: intro, so I muted it. But Oh,
0: boy. It, she is screaming bloody murder. It's just not her day for that, so I'm sorry if anyone can hear it. In the How podcast. old is she? She's two and a half. Um, I
1: am a two-year-old. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's, it's a wild time, um, but right now it's not my problem. No, it's um, not. So. it's let's just get into the topic. So um, and for folks here live, please ask your questions um, here for Jenny in the chat and we'll bring them up one by one uh, or just as they feel relevant. Um, But when we're talking about overcoming vicarious trauma um, to to thrive in your practice and how it affects your private practice, what, what should we know?
1: So the biggest thing that I want people to be aware of is the sneaky ways that vicarious trauma will start to affect us. Um, When it comes to our practice that can start to show up in terms of like avoiding answering emails and voicemails Um, also in, in subtle ways like trying to avoid certain kinds of clients or um just being transparent myself those kind of days when you're like oh i really hope there's a bunch of cancellations or even no yeah. shows right um yeah. because you're just so drained and and vt can sneak up on you you can feel like you're doing great and then all of a sudden you're just like done
0: yeah i actually think that dread is one of the first things to to notice and i've noticed it in myself at times not lately thank goodness but You know, sitting there and looking at your calendar for the next day or even just the day ahead and how you feel and that sense of dread or fatigue, or Mm -hmm. even sitting in session and thinking, I don't care right now. And that's horrible. And I feel bad about not caring and I feel guilty and I shouldn't tell anyone um, or whatever it is, right? The thoughts you have around being burned out or, you know, um, uh, traumatized.
1: And that's a huge piece is that we feel like we can't tell anyone that if we tell people that we are feeling this way, then we're going to get judged, that we're not good enough. We're not cut out to do this work. And this this isn't just for trauma therapists. Like any kind of therapist is working with people in some of their most difficult moments in life. And we're empathic. So we're going to soak up that stress. And so we're yeah. all... At risk for vicarious trauma, which can then turn into burnout where we maybe leave the field because we feel like it's our only way to save ourselves.
0: Yeah. So um, why do you think vicarious trauma happens and what does that look like in terms of the actual uh, work in the, the life of a trauma therapist?
1: Well, like I was saying, it, it happens because we're empathic people. So VT, I talk about it like it, it's just an inevitable occupational hazard. And so just like, you know, in in larger organizations, they'll have your ergonomics person come in and like fix your desk and whatever, because it's going to mess up your back. Well, we're all at risk of VT because it is inevitable. Um, Because of the empathy piece, because we are able to put ourselves in other people's shoes. And what happens is not only are we kind of holding that stress and stuff for our clients, but sometimes our brain doesn't really know that that's not happening to us. And so whether it's trauma work or some other kind of difficult stuff you're doing with your clients, your brain, especially the visual center, if you're imagining it, it will start to go into its own fight or flight process because it thinks it's happening to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the the how vivid it can be um is a big part of it. Also, I think some clients they're so in their trauma that they um they'll tell you about it in the first session in an incredible level of detail. And you have to at times take the reins of that and say, Hey, hey, first, first of all, this is it's really important that we get to this at some point. But right now, um, it might not be so helpful, right? And it actually might make them feel worse or get them flooded or whatever. So a lot of clients starting trauma therapy have no idea how to live with their trauma or how to actually engage in, you know the, the trauma therapy.
1: Yep. And I think yeah. as a therapist, feeling effective in your ability to respond to your client's trauma, to their stress, is really protective. So new clinicians can be sometimes at greater risk for for VT, also more seasoned clinicians because they're already kind of like spread so thin. But when we don't feel like we're able to respond, that imposter syndrome kicks in, it's like confirmation that we're not good enough and we chose the wrong profession. And that's really scary.
0: Yeah, that could have big ripples if it were true.
1: Right. If it were true, which is no. such an important thing because those thoughts, they will like take hold. And that's why I I talk about this and I want other people to talk about it because – it, it happens to all of us. I've been doing trauma work really since undergrad, since like, oh, five more formally since grad school in 09. And I still have days where I'm like, oh, my God, like I, I This just happened to me a couple of weeks mm. ago with with a client where all of a sudden something came out of nowhere. I was totally blindsided. And then I was like, what did I miss? How did I how did I screw this up? This is all my fault. I'm terrible. <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, it happens fast.
1: Hmm.
0: well we you know one thing that we um i, I love about emdr is that um the, the it has that protective element for the clinician and that i don't need to ha- hear every excruciating detail of your trauma in order to help you with it you just mm-hmm. need to hold it in your mind and we start the processing or the bilateral stimulation and um I, I think there's a lot to be said for that in fact being able to do emdr across languages or you know if we don't speak the same language i think is is incredible. And Provides a great layer there of protection for the therapist. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, to not be sitting at home, you know, uh, you know, f- filled with all these details of the horrific things that people do to one another and that mm-hmm. you know the the horrible things that happen in the world.
1: And those are other ways that VT will show up in our personal life. So for me, one time that VT was really bad was I had started working at a level one trauma center and in new Orleans. And so see like oh. everyone who's shot all of the car accidents. Mm. Right. And so among other things, I started to get really worried anytime my loved ones were in a car. Yeah. And I remember my now husband, we were dating at the time. He had like, we, we were dating long distance and he had left to go do something and he didn't call me when he got there. And I, I do not micromanage my partner like anything, but mm. in my head, I was like, oh my God, he got into a car accident and he's dead. And it's just like, it shows up in our personal life where when yeah. we're not managing that, we start to worry about the safety of the people we love. Or yeah. we can get so jaded that we're like, well, your problems aren't bad enough. Like, yeah. do you really, do you know what I listen to all day? Like, why are you worried about this milk spilling?
0: Yeah, because you you, you hear, you work you work with cases that are so extreme and so literally like life- ending or altering or whatever and everything else feels dull. You know, yeah. Exactly. Compared to that. Um, I, I'm pretty fascinated as to why why trauma happens in the first place. And um a little personal anecdote. I um I was an EMT for years and um out of the the, the hundreds and hundreds of calls that I went on, um there was only one that not only one, but there was one in particular that really stuck with me and it kind of messed me up. Um, I'll try not to get too much into it and <laughs> flood myself here <laughs> and traumatize the audience. But something I took away from it was um, two two components with trauma. There's a sudden unexpected overwhelm and there's an under being under resourced. So what happened was I went on a call and it was just me on the call uh, and a driver who was not a medical person. And the call ended up being way more than we thought, way more than the dispatcher said. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was way in over my head and um, it was so gruesome that no one would help me. Oh my God. Um, and people were refusing to come in the house or like even the police officers that were there on the scene would not come in the house. And so that, that one, you know, disturbed me way more than others that would seem like obviously disturbing or more gruesome or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it just helped me think about that piece too, or not to make this all about me, but bringing it back to clinicians as to when you're sitting there in session and you're overwhelmed, under-resourced as to how do I help someone? And I felt that way for years until I had EMDR as Mm -hmm. something in my, my toolbox, right? And I used it the first weekend after training i got trained in it. it was like okay i have a tool to actually treat the trauma yeah to treat the memories to treat their brain and and it just helped give me that protective layer but my own you know experience there as an EMT was just so informative as to like how trauma happens and how it explains mm-hmm. like out of a thousand calls why this one was you know the, the most troublesome so what are your right. thoughts about that
1: well, and in terms of the resourcing, so you were like totally left all alone. No one would even help you when you're asking for help. And so when we think about that for, for therapists, we got to figure out what are our external resources too. So not mm-hmm. not just the training, we've talked about how important that is, but in our own colleagues because, I mean – just as a therapist in general, not everyone signs up for that work. Not even all therapists sign up to do trauma work. And so I think it's important to know who are the people in our corner that we can talk to about this, that they're not going to be like balk and be like, oh, I don't want to hear about that case. I don't want to hear about what it was like to work with that person so that we know that we have our, you know, crew of resources there to be able to talk about this stuff when it's so sensitive, when obviously there's confidentiality, but also, so it's such a unique an intense experience and intense experiences deserve to be shared and narrated in in mm. safe and supported places and ways
0: yeah the isolation is another big piece of it too and um i did some research on you know ems and first responder culture and the number one coping mechanism is basically deflecting and using humor you mm-hmm. know minimizing it through humor uh, this kind of toxic uh you know um culture around just like being yeah. tough and like making sadistic jokes about it and uh, that was pretty true and so it meant like even just functionally calls are back to back and you didn't have time to talk about it um, and process what you went through and then it catches up to you. Um,
1: yeah. And then yeah. we see that in therapy too. We have back-to-back clients all day, yeah. especially when you don't, when you're not able to have control over it through your own business. Yeah. Um, you have back-to-back clients all day. Maybe you like pass your colleague as you're walking each other's clients to yeah. and from session. Meetings are terrible. They're yeah. not safe. They're not a place where we can talk about stuff. Yeah. And we're kind of all alone, even when we're yeah. surrounded by others
0: let's get more into that. Um, you know, it's interesting cause we, we dip into the clinical stuff on this show. Sometimes, um, the show is really about business and the business of, of private practice of therapy. Um, but, um, someday I'll just, I'll just start a separate podcast for the clinical piece. Uh, cause it's, it's so great. Um, but, but, like more practically, what does it look like for a clinician, a, a trauma therapist to be building and designing their practice, their schedule, their, um, their time off? Like, what does it look like to build a, a practice the right way as a trauma therapist based on, you know, how you help therapists in your program?
1: So the first thing, and I know that you talk about this is, um, being aware of all the ways that the imposter syndrome is going to come in and say, like, I can't charge what I'm worth. I can't build a schedule that's going to support my life. I can't take time off because yes, you can. Um, And being aware of scarcity mindset, because that is such a huge threat to us. And it'll make us take on any client that, 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 that contacts us, which is going to start to recreate a lot of the things that happen in agencies that we're trying to get away from mm. when we're starting our own business. Mm-hmm. So doing a lot of mindset work around that, especially with people like yourself. Um, but from there, I think it it is then giving yourself that permission to niche down to know these are the specific kinds of clients, even within trauma that I like yeah. to work with. Um, really yeah. make sure that you learn how to how to write copy and to market to, to speak to those people so that yes. they are seeking you out. Yeah. And then having just really clear boundaries. I mean, first and foremost for yourself, because those are gonna ring through with your clients. And so decide on yeah. what your schedule is and stick to it. If you're not wanting to do evenings anymore, don't offer an evening slot. Yeah. If a client says they don't fit in your schedule, either they'll figure it out or they can go find another clinician who can be really helpful to them. Nice. Um, so I think those are huge things business-wise and to protect you from vicarious trauma.
0: I think that's great. I, I think the niche part is something to dig into even more because um, I think going back to feeling resourced you know or like i can help a person or in my case as an emt that i have the tools i need to help this person right now that's part of how i end up not being traumatized and bearing witness to the suffering and not being able to do anything about it right that's just a horrible feeling um and it's really tough on the brain and so thinking about like where are my gifts as a therapist as a trauma therapist and and niching down even further there and if you do emdr who do you do emdr for Mm -hmm. and even thinking about when you look at your calendar right now and therapists right now could do this um which clients do you get really excited about and feel like i've got a good handle in this case i know where it's going we've got rapport it's a good fit for me i'm capable right of 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 helping them with these issues um because even i think just glancing at your schedule can give you a lot of that that data that you yeah. can then take and make business decisions on.
1: Yep. Because then also knowing who you're, who falls within your niche means that you're going to experience more vicarious resilience. So that's the other side of this coin where we, especially with trauma, I think, I love doing this work because I really know that people can get better. We can't erase their trauma, but people can get better from PTSD. And seeing people recover and and experience post-traumatic growth Mm. for themselves is one of the greatest resources for us as therapists. And so working with the right kind of clients is going to fill your cup in ways that you can't even describe to other people.
0: Totally. Totally. I think a lot of what I end up doing as a business coach is giving therapists permission to do the thing they really want to do and not feel sorry about it or apologize or feel guilty, right? Whether it's the schedule they want to work or the fee, which we can talk about that too in terms of how valued you feel for, you know, giving your lifeblood to, uh, you know, uh, the life of a therapist and doing this work that um, is is incredibly challenging and rewarding, but also Mm -hmm. has some occupational hazards that are not um equal to to other professions so
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's so many invisible wounds that we experience just like you know people who are coming to therapy they have invisible wounds
0: totally yeah um what else what else are we missing here and, and again for folks here live if you want to ask questions here for jenny um please feel free to do so but Um, What else are we missing? And again, like within inside your program, what specifically do you kind of help therapists with or any just things that therapists listening right now could could implement right away?
1: So... One other thing that I haven't talked about yet, especially when starting a practice or for folks who are in in private practice, is making sure that you have a good group of people you can consult with. So whether that's a formal consultation group or just individual, I know I've kind of talked about that, but like more specifically making sure that's built into your schedule. And that's something that in Brave we do as well, where we are really creating a space that's focused for trauma therapists. I did that intentionally because, you know, a lot of people, like I said, don't sign up to be a trauma therapist. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. Please don't do that if you don't want to. (laughs) And we can create spaces where we can feel safe to talk about our work um, because we are our greatest resource. And so if we don't have that built into our schedule, if we don't schedule those appointments with ourselves, then we're not going to be meeting that need.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think, you know, self-care is an interesting phrase that's lost its meaning over the past few years. And, um, some therapists think it just means do more yoga or whatever it is. I I think a degree of it is how we think about the work and the responsibility we take for our clients' lives and for their outcomes. You know, um, this guy, Terry real, like the relational therapist, he had this saying of, um, therapists need to practice a spiritual detachment from clients outcomes and it's not to say we don't care or not invested in their outcome and them doing getting better with some of our help but we're just one part of it but he does a lot of couples work and going into couples work and if you have a real attachment to them like staying together or not or whatever Mm -hmm. then you're going to take that home and either feel like a really good therapist or a really horrible therapist right and that has a lot to do with our burnout and how we our longevity in this career and stuff like that so i think I don't know, there's a spiritual piece there too of just, it's already a great gift to just bear witness to someone suffering in their trauma and we help them as much as we can with what we can do in private practice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Being a trauma therapist in private practice has so many limitations in itself, right? And knowing when a client needs more help and needs to go to a more intensive program or the hospital mm-hmm. or whatever it is too, I think is part of the self-care piece is, is knowing um, what, what our limits are, right? And being at peace yeah. with that letting it be enough you know at the end of the day that i did as much as i could with what i have you know for this client and still they might you know end up feeling worse or get flooded or relapse or what whatever right mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's so wise. And one thing I find myself saying to clients is one of the benefits of them talking to me about stuff is I don't have a horse in the race of their life. I don't really care. Like their outcomes don't really affect me. But they do internally like we we're humans yeah. and we care about how our clients do and we do yeah. feel like that is a reflection on ourselves and having that reminder of that that spiritual detachment I think is really powerful yeah so and I too it's funny I actually have a challenge coming up about self-care but I hate the term self-care and I'm like been trying to crowdsource source this so maybe your audience huh. can help me like what else can we call it because yeah when you right. say self-care even me I'm like oh like that's so I Hate it. Um, so let's come up with a new term. <laughs>
0: totally. Yeah, I'll have to brainstorm that a little bit. But it's um, it's just an ongoing part of the work. I just think mm-hmm. a lot of it is internal. Certainly, things like um, going and doing the yoga and getting sleep or whatever. Those are the kind of right. obvious things that sometimes are just not enough, right? In terms of how we internalize the work and our effectiveness. And even our value, right? Or even going back to like fees, for instance. Um, I, I think that has a, an effect on you know, burnout, longevity in this. Um, yeah, everything. It's a, um, yeah.
1: I think we also don't give ourselves credit for things that really are self-care. Like I woke up and brushed my teeth today and like, you know, I ate lunch or I didn't eat lunch in front of my computer. Like those are all acts of self-care yeah. that that don't fall into that pretty category of like chocolate and bubble baths. Yeah. And yet yeah. they, those are the foundational pieces of self-care that actually get us going every day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then there's the narratives that we
1: tell ourselves about the work too of um, kind of like as you're getting ready, uh, noticing whether you're dreading the day or if you're feeling Mm -hmm. like I can turn on my prefrontal cortex and go into problem solving mode and be prepared for today. The things we tell ourselves during session, I'm Mm -hmm. not good enough, I can't help this person or I, 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 this may be new to me, but I have the skills to respond to them. And then the narratives that we have after these intense experiences with our clients that we can then actually share with other professionals, like we've been talking about of like, this was a super intense session and I really need to talk about it so that I can have a beginning, middle and end for my brain. And it can know that it's done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think even like uh, having rituals at the beginning or end of the day or, um, you know my friend Kelly Higgins will light a candle and then blow it out nice little ritual changing your clothes taking a walk around the block yep. shutting down your computer not having email on your phone things like that to mm-hmm. to kind of create some separation and a signal for the brain um i also think working from home this whole work from home piece is very interesting and there's not enough that we know about it whether you're just working from home and you're like a working in tech or you're a therapist and um what kind of residue you know emotional residue happens in your home Mm -hmm. or your office i'm at home right now um you know i I think there's a lot to be said about that piece that there's a lot of us enjoy the flexibility and the convenience of of that but i think in a perfect world in the way i'd do my clinical work is to keep it at the office and even do my virtual sessions at the office. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a drive, it's extra expense, et cetera. But I just think that physical kind of container for it is really Mm -hmm. important for me and the clients.
1: I agree. I work from home too, and I love it in so many ways with the convenience. And I have had to create those rituals to make sure I have separation. So for for me, one of them is a walk after work with my dog. So that's sort of like my commute. Another thing I'm working on, it's sort of a long project is creating a she shed in our backyard (laughs) that is going to be my office one day whenever we can finish it. So it'll still be here. It'll still meet those needs of being of like the convenience and stuff but it'll be separate from my house
0: yeah amazing um a couple things um jeff said i'm spitballing here self-care personal maintenance yeah i mean hey it's a fresh start you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah the the fresh start of saying personal maintenance We, we could try it um uh abby says um are there any tips to prepare for working with trauma clients for the first time For example, I'm a student who'll be starting my first placement in a few months with limited clinical experience. Great question, Abby. I'm glad you're here. We have a lot of folks in our YouTube audience specifically that are either in grad school or new to private practice. So um, very interesting question. Um, Yeah, Jenny, what do you think?
1: The first thing that comes to mind is to, if you haven't already chosen your placement or, or if it hasn't been decided look for the supervisor first. So look for a supervisor who is trained in trauma and who you feel like you click with if you're able to interview with them, because they're gonna be your guide. If you are just getting started out in clinical work, you wanna have a mentor, you wanna have a guide that is gonna walk alongside you, that's not gonna just walk in front or walk all over you, um, mm-hmm. but it's going to be right there next to you as you're learning all these skills and who you're gonna feel safe sharing all the fears, all the excitement, all everything, um, because as a brand new person, there's so much for you to learn. And I would encourage you to, to check out a lot of different types of trauma work. Um, but really it starts with those supervisors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Those mentors have a lot to do with it. Having really good supervision. Um, yeah, and I would just make again another plug for EMDR, and that I mm-hmm. I worked with trauma for years without really knowing what I was doing with it, and just kind of using talk therapy for trauma, and I think um, pretty pretty unhelpful, uh, not really mm-hmm. not really uprooting the trauma itself. So whether it's EMDR or brain spotting or ART or, or whatever, I would say if you plan on doing trauma work and kind of you know promoting yourself as a trauma therapist, someone who treats trauma, which not all therapists are, mm-hmm. um, then I think get. Get something like that under your tool belt so you have a way to actually treat the, the traumatic memories and treat the brain. Um, yep. that has made a world of difference for me and for our therapists at the practice. So, yeah, yeah, I totally Good agree. Question.
1: Yeah, and we have evidence based treatments that work, so why not use them?
0: Totally. Um, we got just a couple minutes left, so any more questions from the audience? Otherwise, um I guess from you, Jenny, like anything you feel like that's missing or if there's one thing that you want to make sure therapists kind of take away from today, what would that be?
1: I think the most important thing for your audience to remember is that therapists deserve to be cared for, too. And so, whether that is within your community of therapists, with your own therapist, um, we deserve to have that care. And we don't get to do this work and be um, invincible and be Teflon. And so, mm-hmm. it, there are places to be able to get care.
0: Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, again, just making those business decisions to support the type of work you do and have boundaries yeah. and, charge what you're worth and um, have a schedule that has clean lines on it and Mm -hmm. and clear boundaries, I think has, has a lot to do with it. Um,
1: And if you don't believe that you're worth being cared for, then you're not going to be doing those things for your business.
0: Totally. Yeah. And our own therapy has a lot to do with that too, in terms of looking at (laughs) our issues of worth or why we, why we're therapists in the first place or therapists who seem to like to be, you know, traumatized or whatever in that kind of position well
1: me search is a big reason why a lot of us myself included go into psychology that's yeah. what brought me to it you know years ago when i was 18 yeah
0: <laughs> totally yeah yeah and there's enough.
1: nothing wrong with that as long as we're doing the work to become aware yeah yeah
0: absolutely um this has been great jenny um just uh, last thing here so um how can people find out more about you and anything you want to promote now
1: Yeah. So, um, like I said earlier, I am actually doing a self-care challenge in October. Um, so it's called five days to sustainable self-care. And I made a bitly because I always make uh URLs way too mm-hmm. long. I don't know why I haven't learned that yet. Um, but it's bit.ly slash brave self-care. If people want to join, it's free. It's a five day challenge. And in those five days, we'll be going through and really developing a sustainable self care plan that culminates with three months of self care built out into a calendar. Wow. Um, and then um, from there, you know, depending on kind of what people people are wanting. In addition, I also have the brave trauma therapist collective, which is an online membership where we are able to give each other continued support, um, above and beyond the different kinds of events that I do throughout the year. And so people, when when people join the challenge, they'll learn a lot more about the collective at that time. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Jenny, thanks again for being here. A lot of fun and, um, very interesting stuff. Um, couple things coming up on rn next week we have a guest um his name is randy langenderfer i'm sure i messed that up um his topic he's going to be talking about passive income from real estate for busy clinicians so we're just spanning all sorts of topics here (laughs) with very little overlap but um make sure to be here if you're if you're interested in that um, although
1: last week was all about trauma too it was
0: yeah thanks for thanks for noticing that um and, uh, we have an additional interview coming up on Tuesday, 3 PM Pacific with Justin Cromer. He's a, a market digital marketing and SEO guy. He's really brilliant, I think. Um, and he's been here before. So two shows next week, actually Tuesday, 3 PM uh, Pacific with Justin. And then Thursday at this time, 1 PM Pacific with, um, with a uh, good old Randy. So, um, yeah, that's it for now. Um if you're interested in working with me, um I have just a couple slots open right now for individual coaching. Um it's privatepracticeworkshop.com, click on work with me, and you can book a um a preliminary 30-minute uh, session with me to see to see what it's like and uh and we go from there. So, um thanks again for for being here and thanks to Jenny and um we'll see you folks next week. Thank you so thanks much. Again. Cheers. Bye.
1: Bye.